0: Hey y'all, you're tuned in for another episode of Getting to the Root of It with Venus Roots. I'm really excited about our guest today. She's a much needed emerging voice in the music industry, whose work is helping carve a new path for independent Latinx artists. She's la jefa and the founder of Miha Management. Welcome to the show Doris. Hola, how are hey. you? Thanks for joining us. It's Sunday bright and early on your side of the country.
1: A little bit, a little bit. It's hot over here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Doris, welcome. Thank you again. Um, I think the best way to start is anchoring the story in who you are. I think you have a fascinating journey. And walk us through a little bit of um, how did you get started in, in all of this, in the music industry, founding a management company, and even before that, who, who do you want people to know?
1: Ooh, well, first, thank you for having me here. This is gonna be an important conversation, I think, for a lot of folks who um, have never really understood like what um, steps are absolutely necessary to, to get into the spaces that you want to, even if it's not in the music industry, but other fields. Um, so I mean, for me, I I grew up in a family of musicians, but it was all like church. So I grew up in the ministry, like a lot of people in the music industry do. And um, I think just setting the foundation of, of ultimately having a heart of service and in every room that you step into. And, and so since the moment I was born, I always knew that like, music was just such a core part of my identity. Like every holiday was a jam session. Um, All my uncles taught all of like, you know, the the kids and the fam, like, you know, bass level, like what instrument do you want to learn? Whether it's drums, bass, keys, like guitar, singing across the board. Like ev- like literally every single person in my family um, plays and sings, and it's it's a blessing, and I think that just set the stage. And so I grew up performing, and I um, didn't feel too comfortable being in the front, and so I did like, I played saxophone in band, and then I did like orchestra, and then I did choir, but I never felt like the spotlight or something like that was was meant for a kid like me until I was like in high school. And then I started just like, all right, like I have a support system to not make me feel like I need to play small. So what, you know, how do I step into this? And that's when I really started realizing how much of a fan I was of just like music in general and like nerding out on like who wrote what and who produced what and like figuring out like who was behind who and that's when I really started unveiling like the behind the scenes of this all and what it what it truly takes like as a whole to make something happen and um I went to college for musical theater (laughs) because I thought that's what I wanted to do. And um, that took me into a path of theater education when I realized performing wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. And uh, I wanted to become a teacher just to like radicalize children. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Period. And I mean, yeah, my my dreams were to like, be like a theater teacher slash English teacher or something. And like, um, just utilize that space to Uh, do like community organizing like I want to start a nonprofit to like mentor like undocumented kids or like kids of undocumented families because a lot of folks don't really know like what even steps to take in order to go to college etc and um, because they don't have like those examples in their family or even time from their parents to guide them or they don't even have the resources to know where to guide their children and um, it was like my third year of college where I just kind of freaked out and I was about to graduate early and jump into like a credential program, and I was like, "Wait, I don't want to do this like at mm. all." Um, and I was working at a, a as a delivery girl at a pizza shop <laughs> in the downtown uh, uh of downtown Fullerton go go Titans, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I didn't even know my home girl, who was also a delivery girl, was like the chief communications officer officer of our student government, and. Wow. I had no idea. And she was like, yo, you like music a lot. You should just try to like figure that out. And I was like, okay, bet." like what does that look like? And uh, she recommended me for a gig on campus to like book shows for our amphitheater. And it was scholarship based. And turns out the person who was hiring was my orientation leader for my freshman year. And um, it was just like, God was like, I aki I keep here, aquí <laughs> like, this is for you. Here's this new path. And so I ended up double majoring in communications. Um, and I got that job on campus. But I, like, literally never booked a show in my life. I didn't know what a formal offer meant. I didn't know what, a, a like, any of, like, the acronyms for, like, what's a DOS contact, like, which means day of show contact. by yeah, it was
0: like, me in my head, I was like, mm, I look like a <laughs> doing job training, DOS. <laughs>
1: um, but I had no idea what I was doing. I was just going to throw into it. But that's how I think I've always approached things where it's like, I don't know exactly how to do it, but I can figure it out. And it'll be a fun adventure. And so through that internship, I was just like, like, I don't know, there was just like a, a fire lit in, in under my ass, <laughs> like, to just like pon, ponerme las pilas, cause you know, I double majored in comm, so I have like two years now to try to like pack that with as much as possible and just being advised on taking internships or trying to find internships, but it's like the catch 22 of like, how do I get an internship if I have no experience yet? Um, but that job on campus really is the one that opened the door for me. So. I got an internship at a at a startup management company um in LA that was just like managing like indie indie bands in Los Angeles, like and through that like I got to, you know, see my first experience of like selling merchandise and like assisting the tour manager and like helping out on a music video shoot. And I was like, wait, I love this. I love being this close to the artist I love asking them how they're doing and if they need anything and um if they're doing okay and um any way to just like amplify their vision or how I saw people just passionate about the music and like, I love their music too and you know it was the first time I ever got to see like real backstage stuff in in my life and especially as a fan like I was a fangirl growing up like I was the girl going to see like freaking oh my god my emo days like AP tour like fall ball like it was like the academy is like you me at six like that was like 15 year old oh Doris lining up at like 10 a.m to be at the barricade like I knew what it felt like to be that fan so I knew I felt like I was close enough to understand like what it meant to serve that kind of fan and and give them the tools to like spread the gospel of whatever artists that they like love and um, that's the moment that it clicked for me and so I was just like, all right, I'm just gonna intern everywhere now and thankfully for for that internship and those folks that believed in me they plugged me um, and and um, vouched for me and vetted me and I started interning at the spot called School Night in Los Angeles, which is at the Bardot in Hollywood. And um, it was like a night of discovery. Like every Monday night, um, like Chris Derietis and Matt Goldman who founded that uh, as Tastemakers and Naz, who was the booker there, it was like, just like incredible with what he brought there. Like seeing Hozier there and James Bay and Dua Lipa playing her first like US show there. And um, friggin' Miguel doing a secret show there and Billie Eilish playing there. And I'm like, this is, that just felt like such a peak moment in LA for like discovery and just you know looking to my left and right and trying to piece together who is there and like it was very industry and so that allowed me to just meet people from across the board that I would have never thought but um you know as an intern you're just kind of like you do what you need to do you're quiet when you need to be quiet um, and that's it and so I um from there, that's when I actually landed my first job. And because at the same time of interning at school night, um, I did my last year of college, I, I interned at RCA uh, Records, uh, my fall semester in A&R and tour marketing, and then my spring semester, I interned at Columbia Records um, in A&R. And that's, you know, I felt like it got to piece together all the sides of what I didn't know was gonna set the stage for me to have like at least a brief, um, not a brief. Uh, that's not the right word. Uh, uh, just like a general knowledge across the board of of the different parts of the industry that you really need to hit in order to develop an artist and and just cover your bases. And so, seeing from you know starting from artist management to being on the talent buying side, but then being on the event production side, and then seeing what it takes for tour marketing and what it takes and and like the root of A and R is just connect connecting you know you are the liaison in between an artist and their team and the entity that you are representing whether it is publishing or label or management whatever like you are that person that just makes that comfortable connection and make them feel like they are going to be truly heard and represented etc and so it just it just set foundation for me and um when I was interning at Columbia and School Night at the same time, uh, there's this artist Leon that had just been signed to the label by, um, by the chairman at the time, which was Rob Stringer, who was another head of Sony Global, and so she was like priority artist. And you know, when she played School Night and debuted um, in the U. S. for her first time, like that was the craziest School Night I had ever worked as an intern. And then like since Columbia knew I was an intern at School Night, they were like trying to like like finesse more people in the building because the line was insane like um they're like can you like make sure this person from apple is coming in and so i was just like running up and down the stairs like making sure everybody was taken care of and leon's manager was like i fuck with you and i was like you're like yeah yeah i was like we're great that's wonderful um like keep in touch like whatever and two weeks later he called me and um hit me up that uh, they needed a day-to-day manager and uh, she was going to be doing like these radio promo tours and showcase tours uh, over the summer. And, you know, he at the time was, um, was an a and uh, consultant at Epic. So he was going to be in the studio all the time, wasn't going to be able to be on the road with her. And, you know, that she liked my vibe and um, yeah, they were just wanted to give me a shot. They're like, can you work her album photo shoot tomorrow? And I was like, uh. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm interning tomorrow at Columbia. He's like, you can tell them what you're doing (laughs) and I'm sure they'll understand. I'm like, okay. And so I test run that day. um, And that night they offered me the job and uh, that changed my life. And that was like in my last semester of college. And uh, right when I, after I graduated, that's when I went on my first, like my first tours ever. And I was very fortunate to work with an artist that was, extremely kind and hardworking and, and you know, it was her first time seeing the States like that. It was my first time seeing the States like that. And so we were both just like experiencing this like really crazy moment in our lives. And this was 2016, which was like a, a whole shift, right, of, of our world and our community. As we know, election year really like started that. And, um, you know, like a lot of artists, like unfortunately things don't really play out the way that a label plans or a team plans, and um, you know they they threw her on the on the road um, to do all these radio promotions, but it just didn't click uh, the way that they had, I guess, invested into it. And so I had moved to LA for this job, and uh, a week before my birthday, my boss had texted me that like there may or may not be a budget for me in 2017 um so i was like all right this is (laughs) a surprise gotta you know gotta love the curveballs and um from there i just i was like all right um this feels like the end of my world um this was my dream job i wasn't i wasn't ever gonna quit a job like that i loved i loved her and i loved working with the whole team and it was a really sad moment you know i thought like You know, making what I was making at the time, if I saved enough, I was going to be able to, you know, like, you know, jumpstart the process for my parents' papers and, you know, all of these things. So I was like, okay, I have, I finally have like a salary where I can like jump in as their sponsor now. Like I was thinking not just beyond like my career in music, but like how I show up for my family and... I was extremely humbled, you know? Like I I went from, you know, working this like major label artist, like right out of college and me feeling like real hot about myself to temping at like Roscoe's house with chicken and waffles. And like temping, like putting like, Handing flyers um, after shows, and you know, running into people um, that I used to work with with her, and like trying to hide the freaking flyers like up oh, in their gut, just like what? I'm just, I'm just standing outside this venue for no goddamn reason. Of course, I'm freaking handing out flyers for this thing. I'm like, I need to pay my bills. <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> um, and I was putting up flyers on the weekends, and uh, freaking, I was, you know, just doing everything I could to just You know, I didn't have the privilege of like, mommy and daddy who can just like, take care of my needs with the check. Like it was the other way around. And so I, in that moment, I think like hitting like my first kind of like rock bottom, I was like, okay, what the hell am I gonna do now? You know, like I uh, started landing like interviews and meetings at the top of 2017 but nothing was clicking, and I just felt like, what is wrong with me? I know I'm qualified, I, I know I'm a good person, like, they'd be lucky to have me at these jobs, like, what the hell is going on? Um, and, you know, a lot of, of the moments that I saw was, like, you know, of course, folks that have privilege that, like, go into these spaces that, like, like, I, I don't think I've ever really talked about this, but, like, I, like, literally saw who filled those roles and it were people that people white women that were not as qualified as me not as experienced as me and i was like you have got to be kidding me like mm. that was the first time that i didn't want to be bitter by that but like i made i took notes i 100 mm. percent took notes and i was like "Fuck this i'm gonna start my own thing then <laughs> and see what i can do and so i started managing a songwriter and And when I was literally temping at Roscoe's in HR, I like hid my like laptop in the corner. So I'd be like filing stuff, and then I'd be like going in the corner, trying to like lock a meeting or trying to like lock a session, and like see what I could do. And that was the first time that I proved to myself that I was like, all right, bet like I can actually, I can actually do this. I can actually set up two weeks like stacked of meetings and sessions, and I surprised myself. but I'd never been in that kind of a role I was I was just I was the scheduling queen I was the point a to point B girly like never you know being in these crazy rooms that I'd never experienced in my life like I grew up really poor we never had family vacations um I never saw those kinds of dinners in my life those kinds of people in my life buying freaking five hundred dollar bottles of wine and I'm like how oh. <laughs> like, oh, this is crazy um and so yeah i mean you know my old boss did tell me you know one one day when we were working this like mtv thing he's like you're gonna be a great manager one day i had no idea that it was gonna be that quickly mm-hmm. um, and so um yeah i was just like i'm just gonna bet on myself and then like start this thing on the side and hopefully land a full-time gig somewhere and so i was like okay i can't operate out of a gmail anymore and um, I turned to my roommate at the time and I was like, yo, does like home management sound corny? Like is that is that you know, is I that I love it, I love Thank it. On <laughs> the record, off the record, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, she's like, you say you call all the homies like Mijos y Mijas anyway. I think that's like very true to you. It has a ring to it, why not? So I was like, cool, using the 12 out of like my $22 in my bank account at the time <laughs> to buy the like the domain name on like GoDaddy and stuff. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm doing this before anybody else. Does it like boom? That was right around the time that I found Kuko on Twitter um, and I quickly became obsessed with the music and I was just trying to find a way to get in touch with him and um, I saw that he was like playing these like backyard shows, and he had tweeted like, "I've yet to play a venue, lol." And I was like, at the time, I was um, planning the first Solidarity for Sanctuary show, which was to raise funds for my mom's legal fees um, after Trump was inaugurated, and uh, that was like a very fast call to action where I had never felt that like fire before to 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 organize that quickly and in. in and to figure out what we could do, I mean, it was protect trying to protect my family, and so it was kind of like the the stars just aligned where I needed a headliner. He wanted to play a venue show. I went to go see him play in this backyard in in Commerce um, with like almost two hundred like little like Latinx kids singing Yay. every single lyric. I was the oldest person there, and I was twenty three at the time. Oh, <laughs> like. Wow. I just walked in and I was like, how does the industry not know about this? Like, this blows my mind. Like, I was, I'm already a Chiona, but like, I cried so hard. Cause I was like, I needed this when I was a teenager. Like mm-hmm. I needed this kind of representation. I needed to be with my community like this and like echando un grito when he does the mariachi trumpet solo and singing in Spanish with like my fellow teenage kids, like embracing our identity instead of concealing it and trying to, assimilate and stuff or that was like a lot of my experience growing up um in these kinds of spaces especially in the alternative spaces uh that are yeah you know, i mean you know this it's like very white dominated and like you know there there's a great handful of allies but there's a lot of folks that don't make you feel welcome and and that's period like it's not like if they try to do it intentionally or not it's just you're not going to connect with them in that way and i just saw this as just such a beautiful moment that was so pure, and I was like, this, like, this is it, like, this is, like, they're going to be, like, the core of how this is going to, like, spread across our country, like, I just saw, um, I just saw the vision of it, where, uh, you know, and we were, like, chatting earlier, and, like, in we like that moment in, in freaking, that's a raven, when raven just looks to the side, and she has her vision, like, I straight up just, like, saw that, and was, like, oh shit, I just saw your whole career happen. (laughs) Like, that's crazy. Like, I had never experienced something like that. And um, I know we took a chance on each other. And um, when I met him that night, I was like, you know, like I'm planning this thing in a venue. You wanna play a venue? This is a fundraiser for my mama. Like, you can take all the merch proceeds. Like, I can help you set that up. Like, whatever you need. Like, do you have a manager I can talk to um, to help sort out the logistics? And he's like, it's me, but I don't do a really good job at it. He's like, I'm not really good at it. So I'm like, yeah, I, I tried to freaking tech, like email you, Twitter DM you, Facebook message you, Instagram DM you and I didn't get a response. So, I mean, it's great that I'm here <laughs> in person with you. and um literally the next day we met for tacos and we sat there for like four hours and talked about our entire lives and how we found so many parallels and not both being kids of undocumented um folks in mexico and uh growing up in like la or adjacent to la and 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 growing up in like you know like the hood and and being able to tap into like creative after-school programming that basically saved our lives and, and, and put us on the path to where we are now. And that's that's where it all started. And I thought I was going to take a full-time gig at a major label at the time. And they ghosted me <laughs> from that <Yeah>. job. Uh <laughs> Wonderful. And that was the moment when I saw who took the job. And I was like, girl, Girl. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I I definitely gave it a I gave it a side-eye for the show, but that was the biggest blessing in disguise because it hit me hard where I was like, damn, like I can't be chained to somebody else's desk working for them and like utilizing all of my time and energy um to work for this massive company when I can be putting that into what I'm trying to build um with these artists. And so I was crazy. Like, I didn't know how I was gonna pay my rent, but I was like, I just, I had never felt that way before. Like, this is gonna be something if I put all of me into it. Um, And that's exactly what ended up happening where I was still temping at like different places across the board, like front desk girl, while, you know, like also trying to like make shit happen with like my little laptop on the side. Like, thankfully, like I never had, there was one time where I temped for this like really crazy publicist, and like that's the only woman in this industry that I will straight up like be like she is el diablo. Like she ripped me a new one in front of everyone on my second day temping for her because the email that she had sent to me I had received five minutes late, and she want, she was gonna like she needed to like be a couple minutes late to a conference call, and I even showed her I'm like hey you sent this at ten I received at ten oh five. And like, she like was still irrational, and like she was like that doesn't matter, like all crazy. And that was the moment that I was like, I'm not gonna do this. Yeah. <laughs> like, Nobody uh, that treats me this way. And I really I remember about I remember her some from time to time. Whenever when whenever we like got print in Billboard, I know she got she gets a subscription. I was like I hope she sees me. <laughs> 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 I hope, I hope she sees this. They uh, saw
0: you. They saw you.
1: Yeah, yo, I mean, that's just, you know, God just like provides full circle moments like that. Sometimes the universe is, is really funny. And I mean, that's what kind of brought to the the start of just, you know, betting on myself. And, and I think like any entrepreneur um, can relate to that, where it's like, you really have to take the risk for the reward. And I just never believed in myself like that before. Even though I hit my rock bottom, that's when I was like, I'ma prove everyone wrong. Like, I'ma do this shit. Like, and y'all gonna see like, not only like what I can do, cause I really want to like set aside like ego in that, but just be like what I can do to like boost up the needs of our community. Like that's, that's it. Like I didn't go into this for the money. I was just like, let me finesse this platform and these resources and this privilege that we have in these rooms and these spaces in order to leverage the needs of our community. Because obviously when I started MIHA, that was literally like, I bought the domain name a few weeks after Trump was inaugurated. And you know that in the first week of, of his presidency, we saw the very clear message and threat to our community um, and trying to strip away like the sanctuary title, specifically Los Angeles. And that was a big fight there. and. Um, that's when, you know, Solidarity for Sanctuary, um, was born at the same time as like meha like that really, like those two moved hand in hand together. And, um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was it. Like, I just, I told Kuko, I was, like, this is like, I know management's like a weird conversation. Um, and it's hard to trust people, but if you can just like see what I could do for you, um, and you know, if we rock with each other, if if this makes sense, then, like, we can have a more formalized conversation down the line. And then, you know, we just hit the ground running and didn't look back. And our lives changed within quite quickly, actually. It was, like, every week I felt like something new was happening where we went from, like, backyards to, like, selling out the hi-hat to, like, selling out the consolation room to selling out the smell to selling out the, uh, like, jewels room and Union to... um. Headlining Viva Pomona that year, and shout out freaking Rene Contreras of of Viva Pomona, who also curates the Sonora stage at Coachella, and he brought us from backyards to Coachella in a year. Wow! And that was the first year of miha And we realized, okay, this is this is gonna happen. Like I
0: think that, I think we figured a little thing out, maybe. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um. But yeah, so I'm muy long winded, but that's pretty much how, no, but uh, that's it's the stage for that. Such,
0: such an incredible journey. And I mean, I feel and we were talking about this a little bit kind of before the call, like, you know, if if you're if you are acquainted with the ins and outs of the music industry, you know it is not an industry known for being friendly and welcoming and totally inclusive. It is one thing on the artist side, but it is definitely a very different uh, reality with folks who call the shots behind the scenes, management, agents. You know, people are really calling the shots on that end. So I feel like it is. On, on one end, it's not, it doesn't surprise me that y'all were able to do that and that you were able to, in such a short time, because that is, I mean, that is just, like, a story you don't hear. Be able to accomplish that. And yeah. at the same time, I'm just, like, shit, like, you really did that. And you were, in that in that time, 23? Yeah, I was 23. 23. The and there's also, like, this political landscape that's just, like, every you know every day getting worse and I think something that's important is like yes there's increasing there's an increased sense of representation for latinx folks or brown folks um in industries across the board but I think what's really valuable about your voice and why I'm I'm so like excited to see how it's going to continue to expand is like it's not just about identity and representation. Like there's a very clear political demand here that you're constantly uplifting. You know, you've talked about your be- your background. Because even from the sense of entrepreneurship, we-, we get those messages so often from like white bros or like just all these bougie people that it's like, you gotta take a risk, like believe in yourself. And it's like the risk, the risk factor
1: is very different here. Oh, yeah. When, especially when the stakes are that high.
0: Oh, 100%. So for you, it seems like it really was like creating a means of survival and not just for you, like at a communal level. And I think something about our communities is like we don't operate from like an individual perspective. Like we are just raised like communally and are taught to think. I don't only care about myself. What What is the good of success if, you know, like you mentioned I can't bring my family with me, or if my family is still facing direct threats and are not in safety. Talk to me a little bit about solidarity for sanctuary, and sort of how your background, your upbringing, really is directly tied to that. You know, it's not this distant memory. Like you really organized to sort to literally help your family. Yeah,
1: yeah I mean yo sanctuary changed my life that that that's the one where it's like all the work that we do with miha like i am great very grateful with with how we are able to like infiltrate from within and 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 carve out these spaces for our community to have that kind of representation but it was always directly linked kind of like feeling like robin hood style like let me just like take these real quick and like make sure that it goes in the right direction and so for me like i mentioned earlier like solidarity for sanctuary was born as like as a call to action when our current administration was inaugurated and and it felt like you know our cities were were at stake our families staying together were at stake and especially for my parents who were in like legal limbo and to give background on that like i am the only natural born citizen in my family and um, my parents and my brothers came here from Mexico in 89. And that was just right after Amnesty um, had closed its doors. And uh, it was really sad to see that growing up um, my family couldn't access the things that they had very much reminded me all the time that I did, you know, that I had the keys Mm -hmm. to the kingdom because I had something called a social security number and I had, it was never like sat like they sat me down were like miha, like no tenemos papeles like this you know they were never like this is what um the reality looks like for us. like i was just always aware and i think just the context mm-hmm. that i picked up from like arguments or just like the lifestyle choices that they had to make because of it you know i think there was at a there was a point where we were commuting a lot cause we were moving around a ton and my dad still worked in the same place. And so we were so going to school in that same city. And I remember every single morning, my parents would pray for our protection and to keep us out of the eyes of the police and the authorities. Like that was literally a part of our prayer every single morning as a family. And I, it didn't really set in for me, like the, the fear that my brothers had growing up until like, you know, I, I was always like trying to be like a, a star student, Um, I always put my energy into that and my family just, like, over, over overemphasize the importance of that because they're like, you're the one who's gonna, like, get us out in a way. Um, so a lot of, a lot of pressure, you know, that I feel like a lot of immigrant kids can resonate with and and feeling like they're the, the saviors of their family and they really have to carry the responsibility of making it, um, for their family. And, so I was no stranger to that growing up. My my brothers oh. didn't even find out they were undocumented until they were in middle school. When my mom I had to sit them down and be like, you can't go on this little trip to Washington DC because you can't travel in this country like that. And that was just like, obviously heartbreaking for them. And then that's when they were yeah. really like on me, like, don't fuck this up. <laughs> like you, you have, you have, All the opportunity in the world because you were born here so like take advantage of that and so because of that i just knew that like i the stakes were too high to mess it up you know so um i was quite you know silent about it growing up because you know the fear of of people knowing the status of your family and you don't know how people are going to react and you know you get paranoid about like can people report you like and get you deported like that like you know the fear of waking up one day and, or coming home from school one day or not getting picked up from school and thinking that like my parents were taken or my brothers were taken um and that was just terrifying growing up and when i was in college like my you know my worst nightmare came to life when um we got the news that my brother was deported and you know, he, we did. None of us got to say goodbye to him. Like he, he went to the immigration office um, to do his regular check-in. Because he, he was DACA. You know, he was brought here when he was two years old, and he was deported when he was twenty-nine. Like he didn't even know Mexico. And you know, they surprised him with handcuffs on the first bus to Mexico. Um, and he has three three daughters, you know, and, and a wife, and and he didn't even have his wallet on him. Like he was literally like in basketball shorts, like a shirt. Like he just thought he was about to be in and out. Um, when that reality was obviously extremely different. And so since then, my parents haven't even been able to see him. And that was, you know, this year will mark five years since his deportation. And, and that was the moment that I was like, fuck being silent. That's it. Like, y'all don't hear me. Like, this was, he was deported in, in October of 2015. And that was the day of, like, my music industry class midterm. And that was like the actual class that I gave a shit about. And I I just remember that day so vividly, like holding my flashcards with my roommates um, and like mm-hmm. just getting the call from my mom and I just collapsed. Like I, you know, my brother was my was my, was my my protector growing up. He was the one who, who was always stuck with me <laughs> because my parents had to work so much. And so he took care of me and um, he showed me all the music that I grew up with, like Lauryn Hill and Erica Badu and freaking Smashing Pumpkins and Nirvana, but also like all the underground hip hop that he loved and like really poured a lot into me because he wanted to see me like make it, you know? Like he believed in me so much, like number one cheerleader. And so my heart was just completely broken. Like to think like the first reality, yeah. the first thing that hit me mm-hmm. was like, my brother's not gonna be able to see me graduate college. like this shit sucks. Um, and that's when I started being vocal just on like Facebook. Cause we were just trying to figure out like how to possibly bring him back or like what we can do to, to combat this. And, um, that's when, you know, you know, Trump was like starting his, his campaign. And it was right around the time, you know, the very mm-hmm. famous, like, you know, Mexico is bringing like drug dealers and rapists and murderers and all this stuff. And um, that's when I just went on Facebook and I was like, if you agree with any ounce of what this man has to say, you're not my friend. Like, unfriend me now. Like, yeah, I think that was like everybody's yeah, I had my like, Facebook. Anybody who's like, anybody an organizer or, or anything, else. And I was like, <laughs> delete me, please. Do me a favor and exit my life. Because if you believe in anything that this man has to say, you believe in tearing apart my family. You believe in attacking me as an individual. You believe in calling me an anchor baby. Like that's what that's what you're saying with your whole chest. If you support this man, and that's what started there. Um, and you know, if, uh, I graduated, and um, I wasn't. You know, my last semester of college, I was like doing two internships at a time, or three at one point, and then also working like as a waitress on the weekends and also taking six classes, like I had zero days off. And so I didn't even have an opportunity to go visit my brother because I couldn't afford to like miss school or class or my internships in it. my last year of school being so important. And thank God my my tío had just moved to Playa de Tijuana a month before my brother's deportation. Like none of our family had literally ever lived in Tijuana before. So he got extremely fortunate in a very unfortunate situation. And so, what is it, you know, you flash forward into the 2016 election and, you know, we all remember that night. um, We're all sobbing at our election parties when we really thought, we were like, there's no way. Like, there's no way. Looking back, we were so Like, this is a joke. Like, it's not gonna happen. We've
0: learned so much since then. We've learned so much We were so naive, oh
1: my God. (laughs) we have learned a lot, sorry. (laughs) Um, But it, yeah, it was, I think it was a moment that lit a fire under all of our ass, right? To feel like, okay, what do we do now? And so when he was inaugurated, I think it was like shortly after when they were just doing Hella Ice Raids in LA, and down the street from where I lived at the time in Highland Park, there is a father who dropped off his daughter um at elementary school and he was detained and deported right in front of his family disgusting and that was the moment that just like put so much fear into me thinking that, oh my God, like this could happen to my mom, this could happen to my dad like you know they're you know they're still and they were in their legal limbo at the time, and so. I was like, you know what, I'm. To, I just got to do something. I had never really organized like that before in my life, and um, to, to that extent. And so I just try to put the pieces together. And you know, thankful for for friends like uh, my friend Mukta, who um, at the time was doing a lot of organizing with this collective called Honey Power, and um, she had organized this show at the Hi Hat in Highland Park, and. She so graciously, like, gave me her, like, 15, like, you know, some time to grab coffee and, like, uh, just help me kind of put the pieces together on that. At the time, she was working at MTV um, doing a podcast for – she was running the Stakes podcast at MTV, and she was literally putting a story together about undocumented families and Friendship Park, which is, like, where you can, like, talk to each other through the border. It's, like, the only – uh, area where you can actually like they open it up on on the weekends during certain hours and so she was like this is so crazy that like you're organizing something like this like would you be down uh, to possibly be a part of of this podcast and i was like well that was the first time i actually like spoke yeah. to anyone like in in that capacity about my experience and that you know we went to we went to friendship park and and we we filmed with with me and my brother and we did an interview (laughs) through the border and that was the moment that i was like oh we we need to we need to do something like if we can finally start tapping into resources resources like this to tell our story then like this has to keep going and so lo and behold fast forward we get to the first solidarity for sanctuary and it was like five bands and like you know, a few DJs and just, like, raffles from, like, local businesses. And that night, we were able to raise enough money to um, start my mom's case again um, with Karesin in Los Angeles, which uh, is a nonprofit that we just, like, try to just uplift as much as possible because a lot of people don't know that, you know, they have these kinds of resources. And seeing my parents get scammed um from so many people like a lot of immigrants like deal with you know notarios um scamming them for thousands of dollars to try to you know start their process and you know carecen you know is they provide free legal services and consultations and um can submit the paperwork for you and stuff at like like, literally like bare bones cost like i think it costs like around like 2400 to 3000 per person depending on like what other like you know the you have to get your like your medical exam, you know, examinations done, your thumbprints, all that stuff that those costs add up. But to just submit the paperwork, I think it's like just 2,400 per person and to have free legal services when usually like immigration lawyers cost how much, like especially dependent on case by case. Like thankfully my parents were in the right place where I came in and my tia came in and like we all just found a way to make it happen. And so, yeah, I mean the sanctuary series first started to help my parents but then the community was like all right so like you're gonna do like more of these right <laughs> it was it, we did um the first selena for sanctuary which was i was like you know there's all these selena themed parties in la like mm-hmm. why don't we do one and like the name of our community and so that's when the selena for sanctuary started and uh you know we're just like okay let's like you know just ask some djs to you know just, Throw some of their favorite Selena songs in their set, um, and we can do like a couple tribute performances. And you know, it started. That was the first one was at the Satellite, and that was like 400 people, and I was like blown away. And I was like, ah, like this is the second one we throw never, and like this is nuts. And that show um, made enough for my dad, um, or like half of the money that we needed for my dad. And and then the following show that we did was when we collaborated with Viva. And that's when that that show sold out in like an hour. And I was like, oh, okay, this is this is a thing. This is happening. And um, the next Selena for Sanctuary we did, I think we brought in like 500 people or something. And I was like, okay, this is the one that people people rock with. Like, mm-hmm. every, anything for Selena's everybody loves her. Like, this is the one. Like, Selena is such a unifying factor. And um, a few months after that, was when Kuko's uh, agent um, had connected me with this with the amazing woman at Lincoln Center in New York, and they were wanting to put a Selena tribute on their like summer season, and and Kuko's agent like raised her hand, was like, I know exactly who you should be working with, and thankfully they were down, and um, we made Selena for Sanctuary happen in New York for the first time at Lincoln Center out of doors. Um, and that was with Mona Ferte and Gabi Moreno and Omar Paulo and, uh, you know, Cuco and August Eve and um, friggin Chris Perez, like last minute confirmed. So we got all like the Selena Chris fans show up. And I ha- I came into it so with like no expectancies in that. And, wow. you know, it was 2,600 seats and like over 4,000 people showed up. And the line was around the and people overflowed into the met fountain yeah, like, and we're just, we just like what just happened this is and at that time i was a one-woman show on the on the sanctuary side i didn't even know like i was growing into my leadership i was figuring out how to build a team even though people were offering their help and after that that's when i was like all right like,
0: we, we, we,
1: we needed help and from there we grew into um, taking the show to Central Park um, in New York. And that was like literal dream come true for me. Um, and then we brought it to Grand Park in Los Angeles and in the heart of downtown and uh, got to work on that one with like um, Marty Preciado, who I've looked up to for a long time. Um, and that was another full circle moment for me. And this year we were planning on doing central park again yeah. and we were going to do millennium park in chicago and uh we've, we've been uh we we're gonna do august hall in san francisco we were gonna build um the show with the well, we are gonna build the show with the la philharmonic but we we're gonna you know do uh, start there um i mean who knows what's gonna happen with that because that was supposed to be in the fall so i can't say too much on that one but like We had really big plans for this year, (laughs) but the outpour and love from our community is like what allowed us to keep going. And so each show, we've dedicated to like uplifting the message of nonprofits that are doing the work that are in the trenches, and just us serving as like a conduit to build the bridge between art and activism. And so we know like examples of like the March on Washington, and that was a concert. Period, like, and I think like what Nina Simone said at best on just like, you know, if you're yeah. you're an artist, it's like not representing the times and kind of like, what are you doing? You know, like you, you like that's the power of an artist's voice is so far reaching and impactful. And so putting those two together, like in our partners in New York that we yes, like to uplift a lot them. and make the road in New York, and, you know in Book- yes. Bushwick, you know, <laughs> they're incredible love them and you know the fact that they also do similar to what Kadesen does and in free legal services but also like youth empowerment classes like that's you know Kadesen does that as well with Kadesen youth and that's you know that's where it starts and in mobilizing kids from from that age to understand like the power of their own impact and you know once we started partnering with these larger organizations we couldn't Mm -hmm. you know directly raise funds because they're you know they're free Programming, but free public programming. But you know, these budgets already exist for these kinds of public public programming. So we're like, okay, let it be actual public programming. Like we're serving the community, and so we were able to partner with um, the amazing streetwear brand Kids of Immigrants um, to collaborate on merchandise, where like all the funds from the merch,
0: right? So getting creative with, the with the a little bit of the loophole. Because we have control so over you know. Receive. We have,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the most important part is use using the stage um, and the platform to like uplift the needs of, you know, the people who go to a show in Central Park should Absolutely. know that Make the Road New York is is available to them at, at, as a service, you know, and, and the folks that go to downtown LA to a show in Grand Park should know that Cadiz in LA is like up the block at MacArthur Park where, you know, a lot of immigrants are afraid especially a lot of undocumented immigrants are afraid to raise their hand for help because they don't even know where to start and they don't know who to ask because of fear. And, you know, a lot of our older folks who don't really have access to like internet like that or um, even just the, the knowledge of these kinds of resources, like they are the ones who need it the most yet don't even know how, like that's the whole point of us doing this. It's like to let people know that these resources actually exist and, you um, every concert like I just look into that crowd uh, of young brown kids and allies and and them just be so fired up and just know that we planted a seed in them that night and that's going to create intergenerational change and and they are going to think about that night um, and hopefully like let that trickle into their day-to-day movements into how they operate within their community how they speak on these matters because like you know we can raise a few thousand dollars, and you know that's great because these nonprofits need it. You know, ever every ounce of, of money that they can possibly get. Like these national organizations, like stop giving your money to the ACLU. Yeah, you know? Like stop right, giving baby. your money those to Planned Parenthood. Are they have bad. Enough don't know those money are
0: bad. It is the local grassroots organizations bad. that need your support. That <laughs> exactly.
1: I'm like I'm gonna say it right here, and I know like racists don't need your money sorry i'm sorry to say it like i i believe in in their the power of their representation and and you know what they're able to do to at least get messaging out but raices does not need your money they are not the only immigrant focused nonprofit that you can allocate finances to it is these local organizations that don't that don't have access to these crazy grants or these crazy corporate sponsors that can allow them to continue to run. And so that's where we just saw like, okay, as great as like, you know, the visibility of an Amnesty International or like Voto Latino or ACLU or, or Raices or like a like Endelon is great too, um, you know, the, the National Daily Workers Organizing Network. Like they, I think that they're all doing really impactful work, but we just saw that like, if we can use this moment and like these local places like to show the love of the organizations that really need it and the organizations that actually provide that direct service because like aclu isn't going to provide you a direct service like saw we like that's just not how it happens it's like these these smaller orgs that need the love and the light and um that's where we just saw it impact the most and we're like okay like that that was a dream like we manifested into a reality like Kali Uchi's headlining in central park it, like wearing the the clothes that she wore that night that like this is a, no human is illegal like all over her like i was just like mm-hmm. wow <laughs> like, I, like i i literally reached out to Kali Uchi's and empress of's team um in 2017 when this first started and uh it just you know one team didn't really get back to me. Another team was like, is "It isn't going to work right now." But like, you know, we're babies. we were small. Like, what did I expect? Uh, but you know, then Empress of Headline Grand Park, and then Cal Uchi's Headline <laughs> Central Park, and I was like, "Okay, like, this is happening." And so, um, yeah, Sanctuary's my baby. That's
0: that's yes, that's my forever. It's, it's work. so that's refreshing to hear project. all of this. I mean, to be honest, I mean. I have just like I hear different angles around the industry and for me I think like you're you're yes it's amazing you're like a chicana and young and in this industry but it's like you're so much more grand than that and like your vision really encompasses such a broader reach than what the industry can even imagine really you know I I want to bring it back to sort of I know this time is a little weird and i hope you're resting i hope you're not trying to work too much but bringing it back to sort of your work your day-to-day um i think when we think of representation it's become like this really like hot topic like oh yes you know and it's like really been almost commodified like now we know that like a lot of white folks are like yes get get so and so and let's do this and let's do that um without actually doing the work like that you've you've actually been doing because it's like you're gonna do that shit for your people but um like okay cool have a presentation let's also redistribute resources like let's actually mobilize coin to people who need it and let's not just look cute for a campaign um and you know i think something that's frustrating about the music industry in that respect is like even even though there is this emerging like latinx um industry that's you know embracing more young folks and you know it's it's shifting it's still there's an element of it that still seems really like whitewashed and you know i mean my background's puerto rican and it's funny because if you know so many of the boriguas that are famous whether it's like through reggaeton salsa or pop whatever it might be I think you would straight up think that like Puerto Rico is a white ass island and then you pull up to the island and it's very much so like every other Caribbean island, like that's, it is black <laughs> as fuck. And there's some, you know, there's, there's all these weird, like, they're not weird. It's very expected. There's, there is this really active whitewashing of the Latin industry and who can fit and who doesn't. So what are some of the aspirations that you have, um, in this work, and what are some sort of seeds that you've been trying to plant to cut through that?
1: So that's a really great question. I think like first and foremost, yeah, widespread, widespread representation where I think like as, you um, as a first-generation Chicana, obviously, like I, you know, faced my struggles and and dealing with undocumented families and all that stuff. Like that's like certain set of um, you know obstacles that I had to face growing up. But I was always very aware of colorism and how I had certain privileges over like Afro-Latinas or Afro-Mexicanas. Um, and being conscious of that. And like, you know, we have to educate within our own, you know, like communities, you know, like especially growing up in the hood, like hella, you know, hella Mexican, Chicanos, like feel very brave in saying the N word. And I was always that fool that was like, excuse me? <laughs> what did you just say? Y'all think we could be saying this? No, I'm going to say this right now, period. Oh my God. I mean, LA be like that too. So he I'm going to say baby, this on record. Period. If you're not black, don't say the N word. Like, that. That's it, and like you know, I see this a lot in the music industry as well. Where like, why isn't Osuna as big as J Balvin? Like, I love J Balvin, or Bad Bunny, exactly. Like, why Osuna has been around for how long Mm -hmm. and had how many bops, how many hits? Like, and he is not recognized by the industry in the way that he should, um, as well. Or like, what you know, like I love seeing artists like Melly and and Negra and. all of these like incredible artists that like, you know, like, you know, if we're being real here, like anybody with like yeah. any sort of like Afro-descendencia, like that's the blueprint, like from, from like the base of dancing to music, to art, like that's the blueprint. And like, we should acknowledge that. And I think, um, as like I know I'm not white passing but I know I'm like my mom's from Sinaloa like I, my my dad's my mom is like Blanquita as hell like with like German grandparents and my dad is like from Nayarit but he looks like indicano like a Cora like and so I you know it, I know that I have privilege by being on the lighter end of the spectrum. And I think uh, it starts with us, like calling each other out first, and like
0: and and, I mean, just, and
1: saying what's real. And I think, what you like, offered just now is um, something
0: that figuring that part out is, <laughs> is so difficult to get. Have people get real about you know? I mean, it it turns into a really defensive conversation around like, well, you know, all this is mm-hmm. all the struggle I've been through, and it's like word one hundred percent. And this is also another conversation we're having. Um, but it's like, wow, I mean, I again, I have, I mean, I've read my share, of fair, uh, my fair share of articles around the, these things, you know, like the racial implications of music, especially in the Latin industry where kind of like, we just get lumped into one group and we know there are, you know, I mean, for me being Caribbean, exactly. like I have such different interpretations, like culturally speaking than, folks from a lot of other countries, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, I don't even know what you're saying. I don't, I'm like, I've never heard that word. And they're like, oh, I'm sure. like no, fam, <laughs> like what? And it's so different and that's 100% welcome. But I'm like, how can we also embody a sort of level of accountability from like a place of love and community, but even for our people where it's like, that is, that actually ain't cool. And this is actually what it is. And this is that. And How can we then elevate that from just the community level then towards the industry, right? Because the industry is going to benefit from just being like, oh, look at all the Latinos. It's so great. And it's like, where the fuck the black people are? Where are the people that are like brown, you know, dark? Like, there are just so many questions. I'm like. Exactly.
1: There's a lot of questions. And I think like, there's been a wave of artists now that we do get to see as like you know representation across the board that like you know little girls can look up to like Lido Pimienta as like an afro-colombiana and like um you know her her album cover was so powerful of like you know uh, her naming her album Miss Colombia when obviously Miss Colombia you just see like you know, white Colombianas at, at, at the at the face of that when it's not that, and so I think like in the industry, you know, when when Kuku and I were doing the rounds like of late, like major labels in 2017 when he was being hella a lot of executives were you know, we're asking me, like, you know, what, you know, what artists should we be listening to? Like, unbeknownst to me that they were, like, basically getting free consulting. But it was fine, because I was, like, you know, proving myself, and I was, like, a rookie in this space, and this is the first time they're meeting me, and so I was, like, all right, but I am going to tell you that, like, you know, and Omar Apollo is going to be the next one coming up. <laughs> Period. Like, I will tell you that, like, <laughs> and I'm, like, people, like, you know, I feel like right now at the forefront of at least, like, this, like, next like, alternative space, it's, like... Cuco, Omar Paulo, the Marias. And it's like a mixed bag, you know? But I mean, you know, I think it, it will be very clear that like, it isn't like, you know, like where the, yeah. where Where is the representation across the board when it comes to colorism? But I think like the seeds that have been planted are, you know, it started with like s- these new set of artists that are coming out now were inspired by like it blows my mind now that like they're inspired by like the work that happened in twenty seventeen, you know, when like discovering new new music now where like a kid will be like, Yeah, like I like went to Cuco's show, like the first time he toured Texas or something like that. And I was like, what like that's and that inspired you to make mm-hmm. music that like that that shows me that we planted those seeds. And it's like now creating that like intergenerational impact of like the art that's just being created and um I think uh, I always said this too, uh, and like maybe I'll be more brave now in 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 telling like executives that's like when I was interning at Sony for a year, like I was the only Latina. Like how am I in the LA office and I'm the only Latina? Like why is there no no Latin A and R's and we're in Los Angeles? Like I don't get that. Like that truly blew my mind. Where it's like you can't just sign, you can't like note to major labels you cannot just sign latin talent because the latin music industry is growing at an exponential rate you also need to hire latin executives that can actually champion these artists in the right way that actually know the background of our cultura, of our stories of our struggles because yeah, the context yeah. is not going to be right like and there's so the free right
0: consulting like, it's but just, also just facts yeah. just facts baby oh yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. just facts. I think just to just to wrap it up, this has been so beautiful. And <laughs> wow, I can't wait for everyone to listen. Doris, like you really just you really just took us through a whole little roller coaster that we needed to go on. Mm-hmm. And again, folks in the industry are not offering this on the reg. <laughs> like it's just not it's not the platter that's on the menu. Truth <laughs> um, bombs. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, you <laughs> right now are obviously being seen as someone who's an emerging leader, you know, someone that's sort of going to take this angle of the industry by the horns and already has and has a lot of success, of course, just starting. What is something you wish, you know, you've you shared a lot of different tra- traumatic experiences with us. And, you know, just given the background of our communities, trauma is kind of like the Always a lingering cloud that we kind of have to navigate and fight through. Given all of that, if you could tell yourself something when you were the most scared and most filled with fear, what would that be? <laughs> yeah,
1: um, we're going into child work now. <laughs> like we're we're going to. Um... <laughs> come to the, the therapy session when I work with my inner child. Um, <laughs> but actually, I mean, like, I think just reassurance and, and knowing that it's actually, it's going to be okay. I mean, I know that it isn't, that doesn't work for, for everybody because I think like, I, although I've had a really crazy um, upbringing, like, uh, I know that I've had a very fortunate life to like repay that I think like the universe was like, all right this was really tough for you. Let me just like throw this in here. So you're gonna be fine. But um I would just tell myself to surround myself with with the right people first and foremost. I think like growing up we you know when I was like in like the more like white neighborhoods and stuff and I wanted white friends or I wanted like white boys to like me and things. And like it's like, you know, allies are great, but it's like, you also really need your comrades. (laughs) You also really need people who understand your struggle and can be in those trenches with you and be like, you know, I'm afraid too. Like I didn't, I didn't meet anybody who also had like undocumented family members until I moved to San Bernardino um, when I was in high, in like middle school through high school. Um, And that was so eye opening for me. And so I I think that's probably the most important part is like build, your own like ecosystem, build your own community around you with like-minded individuals that um, can can understand you, but also push you. Um, because I think growing up, we always try to, you know, just
0: mm-hmm.
1: just fit in. We're not meant. We're not meant to fit in.
0: <laughs> like,
1: we're, we're really, we're really not meant to to fit in. It's it's you 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 have to figure out how to. Make it work for yourself, and so I think yeah. that I wish I I I understood that better when I was younger. Because um, that's your community Couldn't is going to carry you through, true. like
0: Couldn't all the trouble.
1: I mean, <laughs> the love of
0: your people is what will get you through the days and the darkest of days. I mean, I think if if this moment of crisis has reminded me of anything, it really has been like there's no replacement, there's no supplement for community and for your people
1: exactly and like you know one of my mentors uh, or mentor type figures in my life he just says like go where the love is and it's it's, it's, it's as simple as that go where the love oh, is I love that and, I love
0: that and you will thrive. yes yes Period. yes yes <laughs> it's also still Taurus season that I feel it's like about indulging and just loving on oh, ourselves that yes. that is the most amazing way to close this off, Doris, you're amazing. I'm such a fan. I am really humbled by your ability to just be vulnerable and be real. Um, I know that you're embedded in an industry in which it's much easier to just play it cool, be cute, and you know, say the say the little punchlines that folks want to hear and keep it moving. And you came today with just truth and. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate everything you do. Thank you, sis.
1: Thank you. Thank you for holding space like this. I appreciate it.